Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Good morning, those of you that are watching online. We are thankful that you're joining us. Uh, Maybe you're listening to this on a podcast throughout the week. Uh, We're thankful whether you're here in person or listening to this or watching this. Thankful that you're celebrating with us three years of God's faithfulness. And that's really what today is all about. Uh, It's about our our value. Our very first value as a church is we want to be a church that keeps Jesus the lead story. And so today as we celebrate, as we eat cupcakes in the name of Jesus after we're done here, man, we want to just continue to point to Jesus and his faithfulness uh, over these past three years. It has been a, a really good journey so far. Those of you that don't know me, my name's Chris, and uh, I grew up in the state of Florida. And uh, so if you know me well, you know that yesterday was a really hard day for me. Uh, I'm a Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan, and uh, yeah, yesterday was not, not a good day. So we're, uh, we're going to have a prayer meeting after church and pray that Tom Brady change out his mind or that Aaron Rodgers decides he likes Florida and wants to come down and hang out for a little while. Uh, but I did. I grew up in Florida and growing up in central Florida, uh, it's a place. I grew up in a city called Lakeland and it's kind of between Tampa and Orlando and, and central Florida is a place that literally the entire world comes to. Uh, It used to be in in the mid-70s, it was a bunch of orange groves and swamps, but over the years, because of a man by the name of Walt Disney, everything changed. Uh, Walt Disney was one of those guys that when he looked at, at opportunities, other people saw them as, man, what are you thinking about? That looks impossible. But Walt was a guy, and you know this, that has impacted the entire world Because he looked at situations that maybe other people couldn't see vision for or saw as impossible. And he was a guy that stepped into those things. And because of it, man, he's he's marked the entire world. And early, and you you may know a little bit about the story, but kind of how it all started for Walt was early in the 1950s. uh, He was, you know, sitting down. He was actually on a, a bench watching his girls on a, on a carousel, and he had this idea that why isn't there some type of an amusement park where the whole family can spend time together? And, and, and to him, so far, there wasn't anything that really met his standards. And so that birthed in him this idea of this family-driven, family-friendly amusement opportunity and which we all know now as, as Walt Disney World and Disneyland. And, and so basically, uh, in July of 1954, he decided to begin construction. And man, it was, it was not an easy thing because it had never been done before. But he began construction on what we know as Disneyland. And, and people looked at him and thought, man, what are you thinking? 
Like, like, what, Walt, did you smoke something? What's going on? Eat some bad, really bad pizza. What are you doing? And he had this vision to create this, and it was expensive, and it ended up costing more than what it was supposed to. But, but you and I know the history that on July 17th, 1955, Disneyland opened, and this is amazing, 90 million people watched the opening of Disneyland on TV. I mean, it was, it was something that our entire country, some of you may be like, I watched it when I was a little kid, I, I remember. Some of you, you weren't even thought of, I wasn't even thought of back then, but, but some of you may be like, yeah, I remember. And one of Walt's he had a lot of great quotes, and if you read through his story, it's just a, there's a lot there, a lot to learn from. But one of the quotes that is, he's famous for that I like the most, Walt said it this way, and it kind of is a really good picture of his life. It's simply this. He says, it's kind of fun to do the impossible. Walt was a guy that when he looked at opportunities, he saw something that other people didn't see. When other people looked at an obstacle or they looked at a swamp or they looked at an orange grove, even in Florida, he saw something different. And for him, he, he, he got a lot of joy out of doing things that other people wouldn't even attempt. There was, there was a guy in the Bible, and, and whether you grew up in church or not, you may have heard of this guy. There was a guy in the Bible who had a, a very similar mindset to Walt. And, and this guy's name, we, we find him talked about in the Old Testament in a book that is named after him. It's called, his name is Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, as you look through his story, was a guy that in many ways did things that other people probably wouldn't attempt and wouldn't even, wouldn't even see the vision to attempt, but he attempted things that others would see as impossible. And and if you have your, your Bible or in the app or you can see it up on the screen, we enter this guy's story at the very beginning of the book named after him, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, in the late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. So basically what, what Nehemiah, he had like the coolest job that you could ever have. So he was serving at the Persian Winter Palace with the king. He was the cupbearer for the king. And so what the cupbearer was is somebody that basically tasted all the food and anything that the king would eat or drink, somebody had to taste it first to make sure it wasn't poisonous. And so, man, your whole job is, man, you get to eat everything the king eats and you actually get to eat it before him. That's your job. And so he was the cupbearer for the king. He was in this Persian palace. It was, it was November, December-ish of the year 446 BC. And so he's there. And it says this in verse 2. Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah, he's serving, he's, you know, eating the king's food and kind of he's doing his job. And, and one day his brother, his real brother came and his name's Hananiah. And he came 700 plus miles from where they were from, from kind of home. I think we have a map where, where, where Nehemiah was. Nehemiah was in Susa. 
And then his brother was all the way over here in the Jerusalem area. And so this is about seven to 800 miles. So this isn't like back then, this isn't like, hey, let's just get on a plane and we'll be there, you know, here in an hour and a half. This is like, we're taking months of our time and we're walking or getting on horses, stuff like, I mean, that's what we're doing. And so his brother gets there, and, and just like you do when you see a family member you haven't seen in a long time, one of your first questions is, hey, how are things back home? How have you been doing? And so that's what Nehemiah did. He said, hey, bro, how, how's things at home? How's things back in Jerusalem? Tell me what's going on with everybody. And, and his brother gives him this report in verse 3. He said, they said to me, man, things are not going well. Oh, okay. He, he said, he goes on. He says, for those who return to the province of Judah, they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The, the news could not have been much worse. Basically, Hananiah, Nehemiah's brother, hey, hey, bro, how's things back home? It's not good. But the gates, they're, they're torn down. The wall, which basically is the defense system of the city, it's burned. It's gone. Basically, hey, your, your family, all your friends are defenseless. They're back home. They're emotionally distressed. They're physically in danger. It's not a good picture at home. I mean, this was, this was probably not the news that Nehemiah wanted to hear, and it was probably like just that punch in the gut. When, when he, man, maybe he was expecting good news, but man, his brother shared this with him, and it was just like getting that punch in the gut when you get terrible news. And, and Nehemiah, he hears this. And, and again, he's, he's in a palace some 700 miles away while his family... And the nation that he, his nation were being devastated and they were in danger. Like, wh what could he do? I mean, from a, a human perspective, he is, he's just heard heartbreaking news that he can do absolutely nothing about. Maybe you've, you've felt that. In fact, you probably have at some point in your life. You've gotten some news, and, and you know what it feels like to just get punched in the gut. Not physically, but just emotionally by getting news that you didn't expect. Maybe it was some news from a family member. Maybe somebody, a test came back, and man, the test came back, and there was some bad stuff in their body or, uh, that you weren't expecting. Maybe, maybe there was a job. You went into your boss's office thinking you were getting a promotion, and you got laid off. You, you, we've all had those opportunities where, man, and not, that, where we, we get some news, we go in, we maybe think, hey, this is not going to be bad, and then we get punched in the gut because of the news that we get. And, and we've all felt the same way that Nehemiah felt, almost helpless. Like, what am I supposed to do about this? I can't, I'm out of, this is out of my control. My, I feel punched in the gut, but I literally can do nothing about it. I remember one of these times for me was in December of 2016. We were, at that time, we were living in Florida, and we had come out here for just kind of what we would normally do about every two years for the holidays. And so we were kind of visiting Lori's family. 
And I remember both Lori and I having conversations with some people that bothered us. We had some conversations with with friends of Lori's that she had grown up with that had walked away from the church they were because they had been hurt by the church and they didn't want anything to do with it. We, we talked to some other people who, man, they didn't have a relationship with Jesus and there was just confusion and there was addiction and, and just, just conversations that you have with people that just, they just stay with you and they bother you. But for us, man, what, what could we do about it? I remember thinking that. Like, I come to California about once every two years for a couple weeks. Like, what are we supposed to do? And I just remember having that, that, that kind of grind in your stomach where you're just, you, you've been kind of punched in the gut. You've got some news that, that's just bothering you, but you just don't know if there's anything you can do about it. And you, you might be there today. You might be literally in the middle of a situation that you look at and you look at as impossible. It, it's something you don't have the answer for. It's something that, that you, you don't know the next step and you don't even know if there is a next step. But, but here's what we know. Nothing that matters is impossible because of Jesus. No, nothing that matters at least to in eternity and, and to Jesus, nothing that matters, as impossible as it might feel to us, is impossible because of Jesus. And we can learn a lot from Nehemiah's response because Nehemiah was in that place where he didn't have the answers. He didn't know what to do. It seemed impossible. He's 700 miles away. He might as well have been on the moon back then. There's no planes. I mean, he, he, he's working for the king. He can't go home can't do anything about it. And if he did go home, what was he going to do? But we can learn a lot from his response as we, as a gathering, look at situations even in our area that seem impossible, but also as individuals, as we face things that we don't have the answers for. See, Nehemiah's response we see in verse four, it says this, Nehemiah, he's just gotten this terrible news. And it says this, it says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the, to, the, to the God of heaven. See, Nehemiah's first response was he had a broken heart. He, he got this news, and, and it was literally news that he had to sit down. Like you, You've ever gotten news that almost knocked you off your feet? It says, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. This isn't like, hey, I had a good cry and then I got on with life. This is, my heart is broken. I can't get over this. For day after day after day, I wept and mourned because these people that he loved so much were in emotional distress and they were in real danger. See, Nehemiah's tears were not a sign of weakness. They were a sign of his deep burden for these people and his home. As we consider his response personally, and as we consider his response as a gathering, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, let me ask you a question. It's a question that, man, as we look at his response, it's a question that that we really need to ask ourselves. And the question is simply this, what breaks your heart? 
Nehemiah, when he heard these words, the first kind of his first response was his response was his heart was broken and he just sat down and he wept and mourned for days. What breaks your heart? As you look at your neighborhood, as you look at this city, as you look at our region, what bothers you? I mean, does it bother us that every single day we see evidence of drug abuse all throughout our city? Does it bother us that there, a week or two doesn't go by where we don't hear about somebody trying to take their life or somebody succeeding at taking their life? Does it bother us that there are children today in our region that don't know where they're going to get their meal today? Does it bother us as we look around our city and we, we know that pornography has people held captive? Does it bother us that even amongst people that are followers of Jesus, there seems to be apathy? Does it bother us that many of the people we walk by on a daily basis do not have a relationship with Jesus, and without a relationship with Jesus, they have no hope today or in eternity. Does it bother us? Does it break our heart? See, many times what happens is, and I speak for myself personally, many times what happens is we start with a broken heart. It, at some point, it bothers us. But then what happens is we get distracted and our heart begins to harden and things that used to bother us, they don't bother us anymore. See, after a while, what we do is we kind of find our lane. We put our head in the sand with all the craziness around us. We put our heart in a box because we don't like the feeling of hurt. We don't like the feeling of feeling like we need to do something about it. So we kind of find our lane, kind of run our little race. We let all the craziness around us keep going on. We kind of put our head in the sand so we don't feel too guilty about not doing anything. And then we put our heart in a box because who wants to feel guilty or hurt or burdened? We don't want to feel that. So we put our heart in a box and we don't do anything. But I, I know this, that if Jesus were to walk these streets in our region, if he were to walk the halls of your high school, if he were to walk the, the, through the cubicles at your work or in the warehouse that you work in or at the coffee shop that I study in, if he was to be there, he'd be bothered. He would have compassion. His heart would be broken over what he saw. His heart would be broken by the hurting. His heart would be broken by the homelessness. His heart would be broken by the addicted, the apathetic. His heart would be broken over the lostness. And he would have compassion on them because he would see them as sheep without a shepherd. See, Nehemiah, as he heard this news, his first response was he responded with a broken heart. But then after his, his initial response of, of a broken heart, he moved to another response, and that was to desperate prayers. It says in that same verse we just looked at, it says, when I heard this, I, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned. And then it says, I fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Again, this isn't the a little quick prayer. This is like for days I fasted and I prayed 
desperately to the God of heaven. See, see he was the cupbearer to the king. He had access to the king. He had access to a guy that had the resources and power to help him do something about this issue. But yet he didn't go to the king. It says he, he went to God. He went desperately to God with what was breaking his heart. And if you, you read through the story in, in verses 5 through 7, you, you can see what he said. It, he, he, the first thing he did was he confessed sin. He confessed personal sin. He confessed the sin of his nation. And then what he did is he, after he confessed sin, he reminded God of promises. He, he basically went over promises that God had made to his nation. And he, he spoke those back to God. And then at the end of his prayer, it says that he, he humbly and desperately asked for God's help. See, for me personally, over the last few years, really about the last three and a half years, Prayer has changed in my own life. I've, God has been doing some things in my life, and it's really taught me a lot about prayer that, man, four years ago, I, I didn't, didn't understand. I have a way, a long way to go, but, but I've definitely, God has been, I've been in like a school of prayer, just a season where God's teaching me. And what, here's what I noticed, and maybe you can relate with this, is we treat prayer like we tr treat salt and pepper. Here's what I mean. You're going to maybe do this today. You're, you're going to go home and maybe for you, you, you do a family dinner on, on a Sunday or at some point, you, you know, you have a special dinner and, and man, somebody puts hours of work into that dinner and we, man, we, we cook, we, we get things ready, we go to the store, we put a lot into it, we prepare it, we, we go to the table and man, we, we set the table and make it look good, the centerpiece is great, the forks and the knives and the spoons are where they're supposed to be and they're all, it's, it looks great. The food smells great. Somebody's put a ton of time into it. Then, then you, you sit down, and, and maybe it's your tradition like it is our family. We, we, we pray before we eat, and we thank God for our food. And then after all that's done, as people are starting to, starting to eat, here's what somebody will say. Hey, can you pass the salt and pepper? That's normal. Oh, yeah, yeah, let me grab that for you. And, and here's what we do. We, we take, man, we've already worked, we've already made all the food, we've already put a lot into it, but man, we're just going to take the food up, maybe just a notch or two, we're just going to sprinkle a little bit of salt and pepper on it to just give it a little more flavor, you know, just to add a little bit to what we've already put a lot of time into. And for a lot of us, that's how we treat prayer. It's like, man, we, we've done all the work, we've done all this stuff, but I... We're Christians, so we probably should pray a little bit. So at the end of all of our work, and now that we're ready to do the deal, oh, could, oh, we, could somebody kind of lead us in prayer real quick? We just need to sprinkle a little bit of prayer on this thing. My friend Vance Pittman, he was the last one in the video, friend and mentor of mine, he said this kind of, that really helps with if, if that's your view of prayer. He said it this way. He says, we don't pray before we work. Prayer is the work. Let me read that again. We don't pray before we work. Prayer is the work. See, as you, as you think about Nehemiah, and as you think about our own life, prayer, it's not an add-on when we run out of all the options. 
It's not the icing on the cake after we've prepared the cake and now we just need to put a little icing on it. No, prayer should be our first and best option. Prayer isn't what we do before. Oh, we got something big coming up. I, I oh, I got, got some things I'm nervous about. I got a test coming up. I got this coming up. Oh, man, I, I maybe should pray about this a little bit. No, no, prayer should be the focus. Prayer is the work. See, Nehemiah's broken heart, it, did, it didn't lead him to act right away. What it led him to do was not act. He didn't act for four months. He didn't do anything about it for four months. But what it did lead him to do is it led him to go to God desperately in prayer. Which leads us back to those, that question, and, and maybe let me add another one. So the question is this, man, what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? If you're, you're one of those that, man, you've, you've allowed your heart to get calloused, would you just ask God, even in this moment, man, would you just pull away those calluses on my heart? Like, what breaks your heart? What bothers you? And then the second question is, hey, what place has prayer played in your response? What breaks your heart? And then what, what, where has prayer, has it fit into the, the, what you're going to do? Has it fit in at all? Has it fit into the response you have? If you're watching online, has, has prayer been a, a natural, hey, this breaks my heart. There's an impossible situation. Hey, I, before I go do anything about it, the most important thing I can do is pray. Have we found ourselves with that rhythm? See, for Nehemiah, like I said, after he sat down, he wept, he prayed, he fasted for four months. But after four months of fasting and praying, Nehemiah did something. It says, and you'll see that his next response after having a broken heart and then moving into desperate prayer is he took courageous steps. It says this in, in Nehemiah chapter 2, after he was, had prayed and literally for four months just went before God, it says this. Early the following spring, so we're talking, like I said, about four months later, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. See, the king's like, buddy, you don't seem yourself. What's bothering you? And then it says this, then I was terrified. Because like, you're not supposed to be sad in front of the king. Like you get killed for being sad in front of the king. Like you, 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 everything's rosy when you talk to the king. Everything's great. There's no sadness. But, but obviously there was, this king knew Nehemiah enough to know that, buddy, you, you, can't, you can't like fake it. There's something bothering you. You're doing a good job with what you're doing as far as your work, but I can tell there's something going on. And so it says in that moment, as Nehemiah, I mean, he's in that spot, and you've maybe been in this spot where, man, he has prayed and he has had a broken heart, and now he's in that moment, he has to decide, am I going to take a step forward? Am I going to basically play this thing off and not tell the king? The king's literally said, hey, buddy, what's going on? What's bothering you? In that moment, Nehemiah had to make a decision. Was he going to play it safe? 
Or was he going to take a courageous step forward? And he decided to take a courageous step. It says this. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. The gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? And I love this. You ever done one of these prayers? Like just a quickie. Like, how can I help you? Lord, help me. With a prayer to God of heaven. He just gave it like a quick one. He had been praying for four months, but he's like, I need to just one more time. And he throws up a prayer to God. And then what he does after he prays to God, he says, I replied, if it pleased the king, and if you are pleased with your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. See, he made a decision to step forward courageously. See, in, as he had been praying and fasting, he, he had laid out a plan. And then when the opportunity came, he boldly went forward and he asked for the king's help. And God honored his step of faith and gave him success. See, sometimes in our lives, we get gun shy. And here's, here's what I mean by that. We, we stop trying. We, we, we go through the motions. We might even say a prayer or two about something. But man, we never step forward. It's like, dude, you've been praying about this thing for three years. When are you going to do something? Like, yes, God's given you plans. He's laid stuff on your heart as you've been praying. But you actually have to step forward you got to do something about it. you got to be obedient, not just in your prayer, but you need to be obedient now in what God's told you to do. And, and Nehemiah, that's what he was. He had, he had prayed and desperately went to God, and then God answered his prayer. And he had to now continue to walk by faith and actually step forward and do something and be obedient. And that's what he did. See, Nehemiah took a risk. He stepped through the door when the door opened and the rest is history. See, not only did the king allow Nehemiah to leave, he literally left for 12 years. So like one of your best employees, hey, we'll see you in a decade or so. Go do your thing. Oh, and not only go do your thing, but hey, buddy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to supply you security. I'm going to supply you some resources. I'm going to help you get there, and I'm going to provide some of the resources you need when you get there to build, rebuild this wall. And, and then Nehemiah, he gets there, and this is crazy amazing. He gets there. There's opposition, and there always is if you're trying to do something for God. There's opposition even in Jerusalem. There's people that don't want you to move forward. But in the midst of the opposition, in the midst of the danger, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the hard work, in the midst of the, 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 the rebuilding, which was extremely hard, it took his team 52 days and the whole wall was rebuilt. It's amazing. Like he, he stepped forward. He, he went, he did the hard thing and God showed him favor. And in 52 days, he completed the wall around the city. See, this morning as we celebrate three years, we celebrate three years because many of you along the way and many around this country that have given and prayed, you were burdened for an area. 
Some of you, you were burdened for your family because you've told me. You were burdened for your family. You were burdened for this area. And you decided that you weren't just going to be burdened for it, that you were going to lock arms with other people and you were going to step forward to do something about it. And as I think back, even just over this last six to eight months, you walked neighborhoods and you put door hangers on hundreds and hundreds of doors just inviting people to church. A lot of you, you, you stood out in the rain, in the cold rain, and you passed out pumpkins and candy to families in October. Many of you were involved in putting on a first-class sports camp for our area, and at the end of that sports camp, as we, we look back, there were 40 children who made decisions for Jesus because of you. Because you were burdened. You were burdened for families in this area. It bothered you that there were children in our city that didn't know Jesus. And so you decided to do something about it. You modeled generosity. Because as as you modeled generosity, you, you gave sacrificially so that we could invest in this area. But not only in this area. Now, I'm going to share with you here in a second some of this. But... In areas you'll never even be in, but you wanted to help. Other parts of the country and the world. It was because you had a burden. But here's, here's the thing. Now a few years into this thing, you got a few people come to church and, and there's some good stuff happening. It's really easy to be one of those churches that talks a lot more about what used to happen, what happened last year, and forget about moving forward into next year. It's, it, you, you've been around people, man, where what they talk about most is they talk about the glory days. They're looking, they're looking backwards and they, they don't talk much about moving forwards and moving because, man, it's comfortable now. We like each other. There's some good stuff happening. But we don't want to be one of those churches. And here's why. Because the walls haven't been rebuilt yet. The walls are still broken. The gates are still on fire. People are in distress. People are lost. And the job's not done. When Jesus left this earth, his last recorded words to his followers were this in Acts 1 verse 8. And you've heard this. Maybe even if you don't go to church and you're new to church, you maybe have heard this. Jesus said this as he was leaving earth. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Maybe we could personalize this. And maybe we could say it this way. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Yuba Sutter, the West, and the world. And if we have any chance to make a dent in what's going on around us, if we have any chance to to look back 50, 60 years from now when most of us are gone, when when we look back, if we have any chance to make a difference, it will be because our hearts stay broken. That we never get over the brokenness in our own lives and in the lives of other people. And we never get proud 
Like, hey, I'm better than somebody else because I kind of got my stuff together. No, no, no. We never get over what's around us. Our hearts never stop breaking for hopelessness and lostness. If we're going to make a dent in this, our hearts have to stay broken. But we have to be a gathering who is marked by regular and desperate prayer. Not salt and pepper like, hey, let's sprinkle a little prayer on this thing because we really need God to step, step into this too. But a gathering who's marked with regular and desperate prayer. And then we have to be a, a gathering who takes courageous steps to reach Yuba Sutter, the West, and the world. And as we move into this new year, I want to share with you just briefly, and for those of you that are watching online, and for those that maybe you're visiting today, this is a little bit different day because it's our birthday. And so I want to share with you some things that we're going to do over this next 11 months to reach and minister to and love Yuba Sutter, the West and the world. Let's start with Yuba Sutter. First thing that we're going to do this year, uh, the first one will be on February 20th, is we're going to have five worship and prayer nights. And I, I honestly, I hope they're the, the highest attended services that we have because that's what we, it, it needs to be the highest attended service we have because we need to be a people that go to God, not just salt and pepper, but really go to God and cry out to God for the things that we want to see God do. Another thing we're going to do on February 20th, so that'll be at night during the, the day, we're going to do a, a baby shower for a woman's friend pregnancy center. We did this last year, and basically you'll hear more about it. We, we collect new items for babies, and then we take all that down, and we, we give that to our local pregnancy center to be a help to them. We're going to start something brand new that I'm not invited to. And if you're a dude, you're not invited to it either. We're going to start a thing called The Table that is going to be a gathering for women in Yuba Sutter to reach and encourage the women of Yuba Sutter. We're going to do five or six of these this year. The first one is on March 7th. So it's the first Monday in March. So stay tuned. We're going to, we're going to do that. We're going to do in July again, we're going to do another city sports camp. We're going to do one this year in Yuba City. And then next summer, we're going to do one in Yuba City, and we're going to do one in Marysville the same time next summer. So this summer, we're going to expand so we can get about 20 to 30 more kids. We had about 100 this year. We want to expand that, more opportunities for kids to come. Uh, and we do this absolutely free for the community. And so we're going to do it again. And then the last thing that we're, I want to introduce to you that's basically for this area in October, we're going to partner with a, a friend of mine that also goes to this church. And we're going to do a leadership conference. John Maxwell puts on a leadership conference, and we're going to bring it to this area to pour into and encourage business leaders, education leaders, nonprofit leaders. We want to do something to just breathe life and encourage and help the people that are making this thing run in our city. And so Yuba Sutter, we want to be about ministering and reaching. And so these are just a few things that we're going to do this year to get involved in, in what's going on in this city and try to be a help to this region. The second thing is, is obviously Yuba Sutter, we're going to also, we want to be a part of reaching the West. And, and what I mean by the West is that like the mountain and Pacific time zone, kind of our region of the country. And so a few things that we're doing, 
We're partnering with uh, the local church, which sounds like, of course, we're partnering with the local church. No, it's actually the name of a church that's planting in three weeks in Denver. So you guys know Justin McKay was here with us. Uh, He was with us at the beginning of the school year. He and his wife, Lacey, are planting a church right outside of Denver. Their very first service is on February 20th. And we have so far, we've been able to give them, I think, about $2,600 to help them. We've been able to provide them some coaching and some encouragement. One of our city groups uh, has kind of taken them on and is trying to just do some things to care for them. Uh, And so Justin McKay, and then there's another church that we're partnered with that we're going to, we're helping. And uh, it's called Hugh Church, and it's planting in the Bay Area this spring. And in fact, we have, uh, I think we have a quick video from Sam, one of the pastors there. Hey, City Walk Church, a very happy third birthday to you guys. I am Sam Purley. I'm a co-pastor of Hugh Church, launching Hugh Church here in South Bay. We are a church plant and we've had this privilege of partnering with City Walk Church. You guys are blessed with great leadership in Pastor Chris and Laurie, and we've had an opportunity to catch a glimpse of what God is doing through you in Yuba City and beyond. Great going. Keep up the good work. We are looking forward to many years of God's faithfulness in using you to be a blessing to everyone around you. We are high-fiving you. We are cheering you. We are conveying our wishes and are supporting you through our prayers, love, and warmth. God bless you guys. A very happy third birthday. Pastor Sam Furley from Hugh Church. So we get the privilege of partnering with, with Sam and his brother Emmanuel as they plant uh, in the South Bay area. And then the last thing as far as it relates to the West, this summer I'm super excited about. This might be the thing I'm most excited about of the whole year, is our students are going to take a missions trip to Las Vegas this summer. And we're going to go to Las Vegas. We're going to partner with Hope Church, which is another one of our uh, partner churches. And we're going to minister to the city of Las Vegas and, and be a part of some of the programs that they have there. And so July, we're going to uh, have that option to, for students to go and just be a part of doing some things to help in that city. And so that's, that's exciting. So, so Yuba Sutter, the West, and then let me finish up with some things that we're going to do as it relates to the world. Uh, God has opened up a cool door for us. He's opened up a door for us in the, country, or in the region of North Africa. Uh, we are partnering with a young couple. I can't show you their picture. I can't tell you their name because this is on video just for their own safety. But we're going to partner. We're part, we already are partnering with a young couple there that is in one of the countries in North Africa and is there to, to reach that Muslim world. To, to just give you a little picture of what North Africa is all about, you can put that next slide up. North Africa, that region, it's, it's about seven countries is in that region. About 110 million people. So we're talking quite a few people. 99.9% of them are Muslim. There's 27 languages and there's 88 unreached people groups in that area, in that region. And for me, I had a chance this past uh, couple months ago, I had a chance to kind of quietly go to North Africa uh, with another couple, couple friends of mine. And so we spent about a week in that region, and here's what broke my heart about that region. As I walked around the city I was in, it broke my heart to think literally every 
person that I'm looking at most likely does not know Jesus. And most likely, no one will ever tell them about Jesus. They don't have a neighbor that's going to come to there and invite them to church. No, they don't know Jesus now, and no one in their lifetime will probably ever share Jesus with them. And I, I just, as I was walking around, you can, you can even see in this picture one of these huge mosques in the back. It, it just burdened my heart. And so as a gathering, we were going to take on this region and partner with some other churches. And, and we, we just want to be a part of helping reach that region for Jesus. And so we're going to pray. We, we've already, because of your generosity, we've already been able to give some money to the, help this missionary. And then we're going to go. Like, I'm, I'm going to invite some of you guys to go with me. And we're going to go back. And we're going to be on the ground. And we're going to talk to Muslim people about Jesus. We're going to go. And so as, a, as, a, as we kind of close up this morning, and again, if you're new or you're visiting, it's a little different than normal. I'm going a little longer than I normally do. But I wanted to just give you some clarity. As if you're part of this gathering, we have an opportunity to make a difference in Yuba Sutter, the West, and the world. And, and as we close, as we move into this fourth year, and as we kind of close, this is the question I want to leave you with. If this is what, who you call home, if a city walk is home, simply this. What part does God want me to play in reaching Yuba Sutter, the West, and the world? And here's what my prayer is, that you'll just say yes. Whatever God tells you. He's, he may tell you something different than he tells me, but whatever God is, you, you say, God, what, what part do you want me to play in, in reaching and ministering to and bringing your love and bringing who you are to Yuba Sutter, the West and the world? What part do you want me to play? And I promise here's what he's not going to say. Just sit on the bench and watch. He ain't going to say that. He's going to say, get in the game. Don't be a spectator. And here's what I, I hope, is that if he tells you to go and be a, be, be a cornerback, go be a cornerback. If he tells you to go be the quarterback, go be a quarterback. If he tells you to be a running back, be a running back. If he tells you to go, hey, you're in charge of the water, you take water to the team. Do whatever he says. Just say yes. Because we want to be about saying, we want to be a church that just leaves our yes on the table. Yes, whatever you want, Yes as a gathering and also as individuals. And so what does God want you to do to reach Yuba Sutter, the West, and the world? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for, again, just three years. Lord, thank you. We just want to continue to give you glory. We want to just continue to thank you for your graciousness. Lord, you have uh, just done, done a really cool work, and we just are so thankful to be able to watch you do that. And Lord, as we think about our own lives, you, you didn't leave us here on earth to just make money and fill a bank account. You, you didn't leave us on earth to just do things that make us feel better and are fun. And nothing wrong with that, but you left us here with a greater purpose. And Lord, I pray that each person that's watching online, each person that's here this morning would, would genuinely ask themselves, what part do you want me to play, Jesus? 
My yes is on the table. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. God, I pray you would give us clarity on our individual roles. But I also pray that you would give, continue to give us clarity as a gathering. That we might be about keeping you the lead story and your mission our heartbeat. In Jesus' name, amen.